Hi, I'm Carol Miller from Counseling Essentials. And I'm Brandy from the Counseling Teacher Brandy. And we know that it takes a village to raise a child and that it takes a team to create a comprehensive school counseling program. That's why we've created the Perks School Counseling Membership. We are here to perk up your confidence, perk up your program, and perk up your curriculum. I fill up your cup by giving you instant access to our turnkey lessons, groups, and individual sessions that are fun and engaging for kids. By providing you PD and training that earn you graduate credit and adding you to our community for ongoing troubleshooting and support. We want you to kick up your feet and relax so you spend less time planning and more time doing the things you love. So give us a try and join us for three months and get your first month free. Go to the show notes for the link to join. You're listening to the Counselor Chat Podcast, a show for school counselors looking for easy to implement strategies, how-to tips, collaboration, and a little spark of joy. I'm Carol Miller, your host. I'm a full-time school counselor and the face behind Counseling Essentials. I'm all about creating simplified systems, data-driven practices, and using creative approaches to engage students. If you're looking for a little inspiration to help you make a big impact on student growth and success, you're in the right place because we're better together. Ready to chat? Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Counselor Chat. I'm so happy that you are here with me today. And my friends, we have a special guest. In fact, this guest I'm so excited about because she, when I started doing things online and um, with social media, Michelle is probably one of the first counselors that I met online. And so we have kind of known each other for about 10 years or so. So today with us, we have Michelle Pinnell, who is currently a counselor in Florida, but she is coming to us with this wealth of experiences. So I'm going to just stop right there with me trying to describe Michelle. I'm just going to jump right in and I'm going to say, hi, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. And Michelle... I'm just going to let you kind of share your story and a little bit about all the things that you've done with school counseling. Okay. Well, in my start in education was as a teacher. I think a lot of counselors do start that way. And um, I taught kindergarten for about 10 years um, and a little bit with uh, up to third grade too. And so after 10 years, um, you know, I, I, at that point, I had my own children and I wanted to kind of transition out of the classroom and, you know, went back for school counseling. When I graduated, you know, for school counseling, it was about 2010 and my kiddo, uh, my oldest kiddo was just born. So, you know, he's, he, I, I was just, I just knew I didn't want to have kids and, and stay in the classroom in that sense. But around that time, it was really hard to find jobs. So I'd stayed in the classroom a little bit longer than I wanted to. I'd gone on interviews, but because my experience was in elementary, a lot of the schools weren't hiring for elementary. It was just high school. And it was just it was just a weird time. 
And so that was, we. I lived in Arizona at the time. And also Arizona was like one of the worst states for pay. And so what was really hard about that is um, me and my spouse at the time, we were both educators. And, you know, when there's a state that's really low in pay and we both have master's degrees that we're trying to pay student loans on and live, we just, it was really hard um, and starting a family. So we we were just looking at each other and wanting to try to do something else that we could utilize what we've learned, but maybe make a little bit more money. And so in the process of just discussing it and coming up with ideas, we talked about um, Department of Defense schools. Um, I knew that or my my dad um, growing up, he worked for the Department of Defense. And so, you know, he never was an educator or anything, but I knew about that. So we talked about that. Um, my spouse at the time, he went into his school and was talking to one of his colleagues. And one of his colleagues was like, oh, I know somebody at the Hong Kong International School. And he's like, oh, what's that? And they just gave kind of a description of, of you know, it's it's a school for kids all around the world that live in this city. Um, come to find out his principal at the time also worked internationally too. So he had kind of quite a few resources of people that knew about this. And so he came home and told me, hey, my colleagues talked about international schools. So I got online and tried to find everything that I could. And um, there were some really, really good resources. There was a forum that we found. And I think it's it's still up there that I found a lot of information from. Um, and so I want to say this was maybe about this time of the school year when we had this conversation. And when we were looking everything up, we found out that the recruiting season for international schools start in October and go through about January, maybe February at the latest. Um, As we were looking through everything and doing this research, we realized all the benefits that educators have actually teaching internationally. Um, The pay was a substantial pay raise from Arizona, where we were, Um, in addition, just all the other benefits that you got out of that. Um, most of, I would say all the schools, um, they provide housing for you. And that's one of the benefits of, of living overseas. So you don't have a housing payment. Um, and then there's various benefits along with your housing with that. Most of them will provide full coverage, you know, health benefits for you and your dependents. And so we felt that this was definitely the the way to go. So come no about October, November, we started applying. There's a couple um, recruiting companies that actually um, go into the international schools. Um, they have job fairs, and that's where at that time a lot of people were getting their jobs at. You know, you'd sign up for these companies, pretty much like a headhunter kind of, um, and. They had a database of all these international schools, and then they had a database of all the applicants. And so schools could look up information on applicants, and applicants could look up information on schools. And they would host job fairs in person um, a couple places in the United States and also around the world, and people would get job offers there, depending on how competitive they were you know, what they taught, what their experience was, and so forth. So as we were in the process of this, um, we we decided to sign up for one of the recruiter companies and it was a lot of information. Um, it was like filling out applications, but you also needed letters of recommendation, not only from um, your current principals, but also from parents. And so it was kind of an extensive process. 
in addition to that, you had to go and apply. Well, you would use this forum, this website, sorry, this website for with the with the recruiting to see what kind of openings there were. So it was kind of just a database where in one spot. But then in addition to that, once you found like a job listing that you were interested in, you'd have to go online to their website and apply individually. I kind of felt it was like kind of like a common app where you're filling out one application um, and in, and then you have to go and fill out the school's application. So it, it kind of reminded me of that. And it was it was an extensive process. And so this was, I think, I think it was 2013. I think it was 2013 when this we we started going and um, applying. And our full intention was to you know the next school year go ahead and 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 move overseas. You know, like we were pretty sure that was going to happen for us. So we come, uh, we start filling out applications, we start doing all this, and we're starting to get interviews. And then we're also starting to get interviews with people that have openings like immediately because they're having a turnover, which is kind of rare actually in that, in, in the international world. And so <laughs> all, all that had happened what in, in one month, I would say um, around Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving, we found out that we both had jobs at um, a school in Korea and um, that started in January. So we had so much to do. Um, my, our intention wasn't to leave in the middle of the school year because my spouse at the time was a teacher. I was a teacher. He was a, what did he teach? He taught fifth grade at that time. And the job opening they had was for a first grade teacher. And that's where I had always taught, but I, I, I was like, no, I'm doing school counseling and they had a school counseling position. So I got the school counseling position, my first school counseling position after my, my internship. And he got a position in first grade with the understanding that it was only for a half of the year. And then he would be able to move up to fifth grade. And so from November to January, we had to sell pretty much all the stuff in our house or store it, find some way to some way to deal with it. Get you know we sold sell a car or um, sell a, store a car just all the things that go with moving but on an international scale. Um, one of the things that we also had to do was get a work visa. Some countries you can go ahead and and get that arranged um, closer to like when you're in the country I think, but in Korea you had to have that beforehand and so you had to go to the Korean embassy in the US to get that. Um, as far as I know, I think there's one in DC, one in LA, and I'm not sure where else. So my spouse had to go fly to LA for 24 hours to get our work visas um, so we could actually fly and work there. And so we ended up we ended up moving at the time. It's me, my spouse, and then I I have a three-year-old at that time. And so we are all we're all moving there. Um, the one of the main things that I was really concerned about was childcare because I did have a three-year-old and that's that's not school aged. Um, but what I found out about a lot of the schools in Asia, they have um, some type of either they pay for daycare or it's on site or, or something. So they they have a benefit. Most of them would have a benefit for for some type of a, a childcare for the younger your your younger dependents, and so I felt really good about that, and I made sure that was something that 
was a non-negotiable for us when we moved. The school that we ended up at, it had an on-site classroom for the little kiddos and they even had they even start had a, a room for babies so when if staff members had had children born there um there was a room for babies there was a, a toddler room a preschool room and then going into pre-k they started doing the international baccalaureate program and so i was really really fortunate for that because who wants to go to a foreign country when they have a kid and you don't speak the language and and all the, all the things that go with that it was very stressful so we moved there and and this school it was amazing they had they they would they sent us information in the mail um books in the mail for us to read before we got there um they even had like taxi cards where there was you know addresses written in korean but also written in english but we get there Within 24 hours um, at the country that you go to, typically you're at a hospital visit. They need to do a health screening on you, uh, maybe within the first week. But for us, since we came mid-year, within 24 hours, we were at the hospital. And so we were doing, you know, they x-rayed our chests to make sure that we didn't have, um, what is it, tuberculosis, because they still give tuberculosis uh, they give tuberculosis um, vaccines in Asia still, whereas in the U.S. we don't. Um, but they're doing x-rays. They're doing blood tests. They're, you know, doing teeth exams, eye exams, breathe, uh, respiratory exams. They're doing all this stuff to make sure that, you know, you're healthy enough to be in their country because they don't – some countries don't um, want – they won't allow you to work there if you have certain health problems. Um, so that's that's important. And then the other thing is going overseas. There's certain ages that you have you have to be, I think, below 60 years old in order to work overseas as well. And so within 24 hours, we're doing that. Um, we come back from the hospital. We get back to the school, and we're still jet lagged, and we're we're having to do all these all all this all this orientation, meeting people. Um, and so that was kind of our start from from day one. Um, it was it was it it's was very interesting, very interesting experience. I will say that. And so my when I got there, I was uh, the what was I one of the middle school counselors at the time. I can't remember if it was a certain age level or grade level, um, or if it was just middle school. But that was for half a year. And then starting the next school year, two of the counselors that were there left. Um, so there was me, a brand new counselor, and then somebody else that came in mid-year too. And she was doing seniors. So there was a senior counselor. There was a counselor for nine and 10. There was, so I was sitting that school year, I was six through eight. And then I don't even think there was an elementary counselor at that point. They eventually added one. But at that point, I don't believe there was. So I was in charge of middle school and the middle school students. I, so I had stayed there at that school for we'd stayed there for about seven years. And um, within that time, you know, I, I did end up moving up um, at one point to grades nine and ten. And I so I, that's class that I came in with sixth grade. I was sixth, seventh and eighth with them. And then I looped up with them for nine and ten. And then come 11 and 12, there was a separate counselor for that, which was like the college counselor. Um, in that time frame too, because I was there for seven years, six, seven years, something like that, um, I, you know, became department head. 
And um, we had accreditation visits. And so, you know, I'd help with with the accreditation visits um, in terms of our department. And what was really cool was because our ratios were so low, um, we had the resources that I was really able to implement um, almost a full ask a model. And that was my first counseling experience. You know, at the, I remember being there the first couple of months. It was just like, okay, what do I, what does everyone expect of me? Um, they hadn't really told me at that point. I just kind of was there and was working. And so I'd, I'd jump into where I was needed. Um, and then when I started to feel more comfortable, I was able to um, kind of shape how I wanted things from the beginning. So that was a really big benefit to that. Okay. So Michelle, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What was it like to really be a first year counselor, even though you've had experience in education, which I, I'm guessing was pretty helpful, but what was it like being a first year counselor in a foreign country? Was well, it, I think, you think I it was think different if you had started in the States? I think so. Um, I think So being a first-year counselor and kind of being, everybody was pretty much new in the department. Um, Everybody, so at that that point, there was the college counselor, they were pretty much retired from the, um, in the States or almost to retirement and they came over. So they knew what they were doing and they just did their own thing. Um, The other counselor that, that came in, they came from another high school. And so I collaborated with that person quite well. But at that point, it was, I'm still learning how to be a counselor in addition to having all the cultural changes. So what I do think was different was what I expected the students to be, because you hear high school students, and sometimes, um, at least from the U.S. perspective, you know, there's there's a certain level of behaviors that I, in, in my experience with some high school students, but because this is in... Uh, in Asia, especially. And I, I knew a little bit about Asian culture, but I mean, I didn't even know where Korea was on a map before I moved there. So, and I, I just knew about the Korean war. Everything I knew about Korea was from my parents watching, watching mash when I was little. So I really didn't know much. Um, but Asia in general, the students are, they respect their elders so much just because it's embedded in their culture. And so as far as behavior problems, there was few and far between which was really nice. Um, And it took a while, I will say, for me to really take a grasp and understand that um, since most of our, although we were international school, most of our students were um, Korean and another passport holder, like whether Korean American or Korean Canadian. And so they lived in Korea, but they also had US citizenship or Canadian citizenship or Australian citizenship. Um, in addition to all the other cultures that were there, but because it was so highly, um, there were so many um, Asian students learning uh, what mental health is in in Asia is is and, and knowing that it's still so new um, and not it, it brings a lot of shame if somebody if if there's somebody with a mental health problem, it brings shame to their family and so they don't pursue the counselor as much. It's one thing if it's a schedule change and it's one thing, maybe a college question, but if there's really a mental health issue going on, um, they don't pursue that counselor. And so I had to find ways to insert myself um, to into speaking to everybody, um, whether it was through the minute meetings, because then you go through everybody 
um, or doing something like in that format um, a couple times a year within the classroom, just calling everybody at one at a time, like in the back of a classroom and doing a quick conference with them a couple times a year. Um, so not every, not anybody sticking out by walking to my office. So that, that part was a little different as well. Um, it took me, it took me a good year and a half probably to feel comfortable with the, the change in how the students were and just the culture in general. Um, <laughs> it was a big surprise when I got there because I just thought kids were the same everywhere and, and no, they're not, you know, I didn't know, but that part was very different. So as you were doing your cert, I know that you had a spouse then. Was it difficult with, because there was two of you looking for a job in the same location? Did that like limit your search at all? Or did you think that that really didn't have like much bearing on where you were going to be applying? Well, I actually um, found out that international schools prefer to hire couples that are teaching because it's cheaper for them to pay for your benefits um, as a couple than it is with singles. So if they're paying for a, for your housing, they just need to provide, they need to pay for, make that one housing payment instead of two separate housing payments for two different singles. So ideally, if there's a teaching couple out there, and when I say teaching couple, it's anything in education really, but a teaching couple with no kids, that's the ideal Her, uh, person that they want teaching for them. And then if you do have children, either one or two children is, is the most that most, the most that most schools will want you to have. There's some exceptions here and there, but, um, after, after one or two kids, um, then you might need to start actually paying for some of the benefits that, that you would receive, um, for free with, with the smaller number of children. So yeah, if you're a teaching couple out there, go ahead and and, and highly think about this because it's it's a lot easier actually. What made you guys decide on Korea? You know, I think a lot of it because we were trying to pay off loans. Um, one of the things that I researched first was was definitely salary, and as much as I would love to go live in Europe, um, they don't pay for housing like they do in um, the Middle East or in in Asia because. Everybody wants to go to Europe and, and it is kind of more expensive to live there as well. And so just because of that, Europe was out of the question. Um, so when we were looking at other countries, we we're just looking at pay. And and when I was on the forums, I was reading about people's experiences. Um, the Middle East, you know, a lot of a lot of times that although there are plenty of international schools, a lot of those experiences are lived on a compound. I think at this point, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But at the moment, at that time, back then, I was just like, I don't know about that. You know, I don't know if I would want to live on a compound um, where, you know, you can't go out into the city without certain things or especially being a female, you know, I'd have to make sure to go with um, either my spouse at the time or, or some other uh, male. And so that was, that wasn't out of the cards because they did pay very well and they had good benefits. But the more and more I read about Asia, um, I felt that that was probably going to be the best um, for benefits in terms of where we could get placed. Um, there are certain, as I was reading about certain things and researching, there were, um, you know, for 
for people that have never had international experience, it is going it is difficult to get into certain popular regions. And so um, when we were researching, you know, I, I looked at everything from benefits and pay and then also where we would have a, a good, decent chance to actually get hired on. And Korea, Korea and China fit that bill. Um, and so we were pretty much uh, open to uh, we were applying throughout China and Korea. Oh, I had a question here that I wanted to ask you, and now I totally spaced out. But um, oh, what what was it like, really moving somewhere where you really didn't have an understanding of the language, or like how difficult was that part of your move? Well, I mean, at the beginning, it was really really hard in terms of. Well, I think what okay, so here's what made it hard at first. There's a so there's a honeymoon phase, you know, everybody, and it might be even with a current move. I, I wouldn't, I can't really relate it to anything in the U S but there, there's a honeymoon phase where you're just so excited to be there. You're so excited. And, um, and then there's kind of a dip in everything when you're just like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? Do I need to leave? I never quite, we never quite got that bad, but my, <laughs> my, um, second son was conceived the first week we were there. Cause we were so excited to be there. So one, about a month later, a month and a half later, and I found out I was pregnant. That's when I was freaking out because I was like, what in the world? I'm in a country where I don't understand anything. I mean, they speak English a little bit and some things are in English, but it's different, right? You're not at your home. I don't have my family. And so I'm freaking out. Um, it took a couple days for me to calm down and realize other staff members had had babies <laughs> that, so I could go and talk to them, which I did. And going through that experience and, and being pregnant actually in a, in a different country and, and having my child there, going through that is what made um, getting the support that I needed there with the other staff members and realizing that there are people out there that um, that was, they, they spoke both Korean and English and their jobs were to help um, foreign women go through their their the birth process. And there's special hospitals that you could pay for um, that cater more towards Western um, Western people that are having babies. Um, so that was really good. Once I found all that, I started to calm down. But at that moment, like all I was thinking about was, oh no, I'm having a baby in a foreign country. But going through that experience and seeing all the supports that were there really helped me. Um, the good thing about Korea is that almost everybody does speak English. And if they don't, they have an app on their phone where they will translate what uh, they, well, a lot of them can understand English and they will translate from Korean to English. And so I found it pretty easy actually to get around and not need to speak Korean. But at first I didn't know that <laughs> yeah. I found that out. Um, within within probably the first year living there. So I'm sure for people that are listening that are thinking about, oh, is international school something for me to think about? I think that might be a little helpful piece of information for them to know too. Because I think if I was ever thinking about, you know, living abroad and, and working abroad, I would be a nervous wreck if I could communicate what was going to be happening. Am I ever going to leave set my foot outside the school or am I just staying there because they're the only people who 
could understand what I'm saying. Yeah, (laughs) I know. And that's where, and that's where like, I will say that like the compound idea in the Middle East, that that could be a benefit, right? Everybody speaks, you're in this bubble that everybody's speaking the same language. Um, But whereas other Asian countries like Singapore, they're English speaking, Malaysia, English is one of their main languages. So there's a lot out there where people are speaking English or they, you know, that's, that's the other language that they learn. And so once actually realizing that I I felt a lot more comfortable. So definitely, I mean, English is, is an international language, no matter where you go. And of course we try, we learned a couple phrases and that's all, you know, when we were first there, I was only able to say hello and thank you. And that's, and goodbye. And that's what I would say. I would try really, really hard. And that's what I would say. And, and, you know, I would, I, I did go ahead and, and try to and learn their alphabet where you could read things, but I didn't know what I was reading unless I was looking at a subway map. Um, Cause it was the cities, but, but yeah, it was, it was, it's, it, it's very, it's hard. But it was nice to have a support system. And there are a lot of singles that do it. Um, and, you know, after their two or three year contract, they move to the next country and that's how they live their life. Um, so it's definitely a, a community that is, it has lots of support. I will say that. Awesome. So I know that you were there for a while and now you're back in the States, you're in Florida. So what was it like transitioning back to the States and then from working internationally to now working in the US. How was that transition? Well, that I would say that transition was harder <laughs> to be honest. I think it was much more difficult. Um when we moved back, it was in 2020, so COVID was still going on. Um and we moved to Florida and we don't have family here, but my spouse at the time really wanted to be in Florida. Okay, so that was our plan. We moved here. Um and, and this state opened up, you know, before a lot of other states did. So really, the COVID part didn't affect us as much, I will say, in terms of work and um, and school and things like that for my kids. Um, there were some, you know, some people chose to stay home and do the virtual option. So that that was a little different. But we were able to go into school with masks and and carry on like that was kind of normal. Um, the part that, that was hard, I think because I never lived in this state, there was a big culture change, even, you know, from Arizona to here. And, and of course, internationally, huge culture change. I feel like Florida has its own kind of special people and, and different ways of doing things. But even when, you know, working and going in and being, getting my job as a counselor, yeah, it was really surprising because, ASCA, you know, people know about ASCA, but there's, there's a lot of non-counseling duties. And so me just having to learn how to do a 504 for the first time, I never had to do that. So even learning how how to do that, (laughs) learning what um, multi-tiered system of support was for MTSS, I didn't know what any of this stuff was. So that was my learning curve. I felt I kind of did feel like a first year counselor all over again, just because I'm having to learn all these new processes. And and there's a lot of paperwork um, where we are for those types of things. Um, in addition to all the other non-counseling duties that our district has counselors doing. And and so between that and then the rela- trying to relate to the students again, um, trying to figure out where 
what what was going on in my life there it was it was much more hard m- much more difficult um to come back here i will say um you know i know it's not the same but when i each time i've transferred to a different job even if it like i remember going from the high school to the middle school in the same district it was like a completely different job that i had to relearn it was just so so different but even going from one district to another you know, the differences with having to learn like, well, this school does have you provide um, IEP counseling and you have to um, learn how to write goals and you had to learn how to progress monitor and you had to do like these different things that I didn't, you know, after, you know, 25 years, I'd never had to do before. So I totally understand how things are different, but yeah, I would imagine that the difference and coming back during COVID too, that must have threw you in for another loop. But coming back from one set of systems to something completely different, how that can be difficult. Yeah. And 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 I'm I'm not sure how it is in other districts, but at least in ours, like the principal can decide to do whatever pretty much whatever they want. They're pretty autonomous. You know, it's their school. So even what the counselor jobs like, and like you had said, from one school to the next. They the the principals decide what they want their counselors doing, and um, in this district, and I'm sure it's like that in some others. But I didn't know that until until I'm you know doing what I'm doing now. Um, but yeah, it was it was tough. It was definitely tough to get back into everything. So I, I you know I think it took a full year for me to calm down and okay, I know what I'm doing now. Um, but it is it, the thing that is mostly different, I will say, is when you're working at an international school, you're working with these people, you're hanging out with these people on weekends and after after school hours, like you're in this bubble with these people that are all in the same experience for you. Whereas when you're working at schools here, it's not like that. You have a very distinct separation between work and home. You don't really, maybe every once in a while, you'll talk to somebody and hang out with somebody that you work with, but it's not it's not like that here. Whereas overseas, there's a very strong community because everybody's in that experience together. It's, um, it's, it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool community in that way. It sounds like they're your family when you're away. It is. Yep. Because your family isn't there. Right. And so you're, you're doing everything with these people. Um, and it, it works good. It's actually, I, it kind of, I kind of liked it better, but it's just a different way of doing things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's just a very random question. But while you were in Korea, what was the most interesting food you tried? Oh, goodness. Okay. So at that, I will tell you, when we moved over there, my spouse and I were vegan. Korea does, Koreans are not vegan. It's very, (laughs) very small, very, very small group. So uh, my spouse was still vegan the entire time. I, on the other hand, when I got pregnant, like I honked down a Big Mac for the first time in years. It did not stay down, but I chose to eat that. <laughs> and so anyways, after that experience, I was like, okay, I got I to gotta start doing a little bit of meat here because I'm just going to be hungry because that that's what people eat. Um, so I honestly didn't try anything that was totally, totally weird. Now, I saw weird things that I did not try. But I did not eat any of those things because I wasn't eating. I do eat all meats now, but at that point, I was I was just doing chicken, and so that part was a little different. (laughs) 
probably not the same experience. Um, but I will say like on the street, one of the big foods, um, that they have is they have these, um, I think it's, gosh, I gotta, I gotta look it up. I think it's called Bundengi. Let me Google. Um, it's like some type of an insect. Oh. So, uh, that was like a street food and, um, I did not eat that. They were very pungent and smelling. Um, so that was probably the weirdest thing. And then we, uh, we would go to Korean mark, like open air markets and, you know, they would have the seafood dishes like the, um, what is it? The octopus. And I don't even remember the name of it, but the octopus were, it was a live octopus that they'd chop up and then put chili sauce on and people would eat that. Like I remember colleagues, um, trying that there was a group of men that got together for a barbecue, um, and one of the because they wanted to try it, one of the local shops sold dog meat. Oh, so, they no. had, so they had a they had a a, a barbecue one time um, for that. So that was a little I, I don't know. That's not that's you know we don't eat everything like they do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have been crying for that one. <laughs> yeah, and but those are the same people that when they would go to China, they would taste their their dishes and stuff too. I I was not an adventurous eater. So I'm sorry. I can't, I didn't really try anything weird to think of. Like, I mean, meat was weird to me at that time. Gotcha. Uh, and was there one experience that you had while you were there that when you look back, you're like, this was incredible. I'm so grateful I got to witness this. Do you have any of those moments? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, I mean, there were a lot and, and so one of the benefits, obviously, as, um, you know, being, being in Asia, you're, you get a lot of travel. You can, you can do a lot of travel. And so one of the benefits that they give you is, um, as schools is they pay for your, um, airfare to go home every year for summers. Um, well, you know, there was eventually a time where we chose as a family to not go home over the summers, but go home. We would pay for the Christmas time to go on Christmas and we would just go on vacation um, over the summer. So we would, we would do a lot of extensive traveling, um, all over to Europe to, um, different places in Asia and things like that. But one of the things that I was, we were so excited about, um, is we're one of the reasons why we, why my spouse, um, prior spouse wanted to move to Florida was because we were really, we're really big Disney people. And, um, we were able to go to almost all the Disney's in the world. Like within six months, we were going to Disney Japan and it was amazing. It was like a dream come true. So maybe some of your listeners can relate to that. That really love Disney. Um, and it's actually funny is one of the trips that we were planning was in February of 2019, no, February, 2020. Um, we were going to go to Shanghai and go to Shanghai Disney. And we're like, Oh, there was a, a break there for the lunar new year. But then we're like, well, I don't know. Maybe we should book it. But I hear people are getting sick. And if we had gone to Shanghai in February of 2020, we would have been locked in that city. We wouldn't have been able to return home because that's when COVID broke out oh, all boy. over. So uh, that was a good decision in the end um, to not do that because <laughs> everything closed down. Um, but yeah, there were so many travel experiences. Um and even I will even say, Carol, that these schools give you an allowance for your professional development. Um, some schools give five hundred some per year. Some schools give twelve hundred per year, 
And so if people are training most of the time, at least in Asia, you are going out of the country to go to a professional development. And it is amazing because you go to these conferences and, you know, there's, there's a, like to kick off the conference, there's always like a social gathering, but these social gatherings, because the dollar can go further and uh, some of these countries that they have them in, they have like full on cultural performances and a full buffet of, of things. It's pretty amazing. Um, and also I will say, even from the college side, a lot of college, U.S. colleges, um, Canadian colleges, um, UK colleges, they all are recruiting your students. And a lot of the time for whoever that college counselor is, they're flying them into their university to go do a university visit. So just the, just the travel opportunities all around professionally and personally it's amazing. It's like a whole other world that you don't even know exists because you don't get that when you're in the U.S. Right. I think. Well, if you're gonna tra- if you're gonna be abroad, there's no excuse not to travel. I guess. Right. And and check everything out and make the most of your time. So. Yep. It, it's amazing, and I I feel very lucky that my kids. Um. Right now they're 14 and 10, but even my 10 year old, like he he remembers little bits and pieces. Like we were able to go. He was able to travel the world and go see things that people, you know, they're, they're people only read about in their history books. And they were actually able to go see that. And I feel so fortunate that they were able to get that experience, but also get the experience of seeing third world countries. It's been a great, a great, great thing for my kids, but they're back here now and they absolutely love it here too, because now they're able to grow up in their culture and, and feel like a true American kid. Well, that is awesome. Michelle, this has been really, really so insightful. I just loved hearing about all your adventures and I'm so thankful that you shared them here with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Is there any other like advice or anything that you'd want to share with someone who's thinking about um, applying internationally? Yes, definitely get online and do your research. There's so there's, I'm sure there's even more out there than when I've than 10 years ago um, from when I started, but it is such a great experience. And a lot of people, you know, they're like, well, my family's here and yeah, your family is here, but just, it, it is, it is such an amazing, um, amazing adventure. Um, you know, I was able to come back home. Both of us were able to come back home with zero debt and no student loans or anything. And, but when we went over there, all of our debt combined, so both of our student loans, our cars and all the things, it was over a hundred thousand dollars. And for educators to get out of that pile of debt is almost impossible when, you know, you're doing a normal job. So I highly encourage that. I highly encourage to go on and research. And um, if you're even thinking about it, it's, it's, it's completely worth it. That is awesome. So awesome. Is there a way for people to, who want to connect with you that they can connect with you? Um, yeah, actually I can give them my, um, my email address, but I mean, I'm on your Facebook group. So if people are on there, they can definitely connect with me, you know, on your Facebook groups that, that we're on, but let me go ahead. Um, I'll give you guys my email address, my professional, my professional email address that I use. Um, it's P O W N A L L Michelle, 
with two L's at gmail.com. Okay. I will make sure that I put that in the show notes for people that are listening and that want to connect with you. I think um, that'll be nice if you have questions that, you know, they can ask you and things like that. Are there any shows, this has nothing to do with school counseling, but are there any shows that you are currently binge watching? Oh goodness. Um, so before I left, this is actually kind of funny because it relates to this before I left for Korea, I love, I was into Grey's Anatomy since the beginning and I had watched here and there, you know, in Korea, you kind of got to get creative with your TV, with your watching of American shows. So I have, am now going back on Netflix and I picked up from where I left off and I have been binge watching, um, I think from season eight until whatever's left on Netflix. So I think I'm on season, I don't know, 16, 17. It's been a lot of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) That's okay. I have uh, binge watched Grey's on Netflix too. And I, it's so funny because I finished you know, watching all of it. And then I was like, I don't remember what the first couple seasons were about. So now I'm kind of like going back through and rewatching them all. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. For sure. It's just, it's, it's been on as long as I've been gone, (laughs) you know, left. It was on when I started left and came back. It's still on such a, so many seasons. So it's been great. It's been on forever. (laughs) It really has these pe- and these people that I'm now watching seeing their flashbacks. They look like little children, so that's pretty funny. <laughs> All right, and one last random question for you. Okay, if you could pick out any car that's out there, what kind of car would you pick and why? Um, I have always loved just a classic like 1957 Chevy. With like the wings and like the whole 1950s looking car. Would you get like that funky blue that they had back then? Um, I either do the blue or I'd have my I have family members that do car paint jobs. I I've always thought of doing like a raspberry sparkly uh, pink color, like a dark raspberry color that's like a can like a candy apple raspberry or whatever that candy raspberry pink. <laughs> I have it pictured in my mind. It looks very beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If only it's like automatic and has AC and a good like way for me to, to Bluetooth, then I'm good. But <laughs> have to have a lot of updates for that. But they're beautiful cars. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, this was, this was fun. I, really- I know. I thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And our friends that are listening, thank you for joining us. I hope that you found, if you're interested in traveling abroad or doing, you're at an international school or maybe five, six, seven, eight, whatever it may be, that this episode was helpful. I really do. Like I said, Michelle, I really appreciate this. This was great catching up. Well, friends, Once again, thank you for joining us. And until next week, have a great week. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Counselor Chat. All of the links I talked about can be found in the show notes and at counselingessentials.org forward slash podcast. Be sure to hit follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And if you would be so kind to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Want to connect? 
Send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram at Counseling Essentials. Until next time, can't wait till we chat. Bye for now.